Get ready for the ultimate fishing showdown of 2023. It's the Big Bear Trout Fest powered by Suzuki. Coming to Big Bear Lake next weekend, October 7th and 8th. The lake is stocking a whopping 18,000 pounds of trout leading up to this event. Big Bear brings the fish and Western Outdoor News is bringing the prizes. We're giving away two boats rigged with Suzuki outboards, $2,500 in spin-to-win cash courtesy of Suzuki Marine, rods and reels from Daiwa, Fluger, and Fenwick, prize packs courtesy of Speeding Bullet Lures and the Mook Lures, and best of all, the first 400 anglers will receive a giveaway bag packed with Trilene Line, Powerbait Doe, Thomas Buoyant, and Rooster Tail Lures. This is the Trout Fest at Big Bear Lake. Entry is only $75 for adults and $50 for juniors 14 and under. Sign up now at Trout Fest at Big Bear Lake, Saturday and Sunday, October 7th and 8th. Sign up now at woenews.com. The lobster opener is upon us, but there's a big catch. We also talked to Dan Smith, a waterfowl scientist, who's going to tell us all about the Pacific Flyway and what's in store for this season. This is Western Outdoor News. Well, it's that time of year again. The California Spiny Lobster Fishery is set to open Friday, September 29th at 6 p.m. for recreational diving and hoop netting, followed by the commercial fishery on Wednesday, October 4th. The recreational opener is actually opening 12 hours earlier than the past seasons this year, providing an extra night of recreational fishing, but... It comes at a big catch. The state health agencies have determined that spicy, spicy, <laughs> spicy lobster, spiny lobster sampled off mainland Los Angeles County had elevated levels of demoic acid and recommended a delayed opening of the recreational and commercial fishery in the area. Following the recommendation, the California Department of Fish and Wildlife Director Charlton H. Bonham enacted a delay to the start of the recreational and commercial spiny lobster fisheries within specific areas of Los Angeles and Orange Counties. Areas immediately surrounding the recreational delay will be open to a recreational uh, take under an advisory issued by the CDPH, that's the Department of Public Health, to avoid consuming uh, eggs or uh, I think it's like stomach bile and eggs for spiny lobster. Cooking lobster does not decrease or destroy the toxin, so consumers are advised to discard of the viscera, roe, and cooking liquids. So be careful out there. I know there's been a lot of discussion online. Does this warrant a closure? Can people just be more careful with their catch? I'm going to leave that up to you. You know, let, let us know those comments. Go onto our social media. Let us know what you think. A lot of people seem to think that this is a little bit of an overreach from the CDFW. I mean, talk about closure after closure. Uh, but then on the other hand, I guess, you know, demoic acid is not something that I'd be interested in eating, but maybe we could be more careful about how it's ingested. So let's let's actually just talk a little bit more about the closure areas. Looking at a map here, this is all available at wonews.com. But if we look over at this map, we're looking at Long Beach and L.A. Harbor. The east side of, uh, of Long Beach and L.A. Harbor is the beginning of that closure area. And it goes all the way to uh, basically the southern side of uh, Palos Verdes. So outside of that is still 
uh, is still open, but it is under a health advisory. So uh, practice caution if you are hoop netting or getting some lobsters out of those areas. Again, you know, the best way to look at this is to look at the CDFW map. We have this at WONews.com. I will link it in the show description. Uh, but what do you think? We want to know. Uh, comment on our social media. Let us know what you think. But hey, Friday is the 29th, and technically there will be spots open. So we still want to see what you're getting out there, whether you're whether you're eating it, whether you're not. We want to know. But there will be a closure until further notice. They're going to keep testing catches in this this area until it is deemed safe so stay tuned to wonews.com and western outdoor news social media feeds to uh, keep up to date with the openings in that regard well a new issue of western outdoor news is hitting newsstands and there is so much to talk about but one major thing as we head into the fall is waterfowl season and duck hunting so we got on with dan smith he's a waterfowl scientist working with ducks unlimited uh with the western region of ducks unlimited and dan smith he breaks down the pacific flyway and how the winter has affected the upcoming hunting conditions and what you guys can look forward to this season so let's get to it dan smith thanks for joining the show yeah, so I study uh, the seasonal movements and habitat needs of waterfowl, and uh, a lot of that's you know trying to better inform habitat management decisions, um, and also tracking how waterfowl populations are doing, uh, things like survival rates and, and uh, breeding rates, things like that. Okay, and those are all extremely important for uh, for hunters out there. So let's uh, let's get into the first question here. Kind of somebody who's never been, you know waterfowl hunting, duck hunting, anything like that before. Tell me about uh, the migration patterns on the on the the West Coast, kind of the whole Western region here. If you can walk us through kind of the whole year migration pattern. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the seasonal kind of life cycle, if you will, of waterfowl is really interesting. And we see a huge diversity when it comes to the Pacific Flyway or that West Coast region, if you will. Um, we have you know, the classic approach or a classic idea, I guess you could say, for migratory waterfowl is they'll spend winter uh, somewhere down south, places like Washington, Oregon, California, all those areas. Um, and then they'll stay through around, I mean, depends exactly where you are, but they'll typically stay around uh, till early spring. They'll kind of forage as much as they can to get ready for that migration up to their breeding locations, which are typically in Canada or Alaska. And uh, they'll get up there sometime in spring early summer depending on when kind of ice melts and when birds are moving and they'll uh, raise that brood hopefully if their nesting is, is successful uh, those young will be raised uh, over a very short period of time um, and then as weather starts to cool and conditions kind of prevail up in those northern breeding areas they'll do the same trip migrate down back to those southern wintering areas and when you're saying southern how far south are we talking you know, that really depends on the species. Some of them, you know, will spend a lot of time up north. Uh, we're seeing particularly with certain goose species, uh, Brant in particular, they'll spend a lot of time even year round uh, in the in the Alaska region on the Aleutian chain of islands. But then we'll see other species like cinnamon teal. Um, they'll still they'll stay pretty southern, um, spend a lot of time actually uh, in southern California, 
um, and even down into kind of central, even Southern America. Okay. All right. So, so with this kind of unprecedented winter that we had this year, it was extremely wet, pretty cold. Uh, you know, I think there's still some snow in the Eastern Sierra, right? You know, some yeah. lower elevation <laughs> snow up there, but, uh, uh, Tell me what what do you think the effect of this past winter had on the Pacific Flyway? It was a, certainly a positive effect. Um, we in 2021 and 2022, pretty much all of our core areas in the Pacific Flyway, which is really this area that we call the Sonic Region or Southern Oregon, Northeastern California, that was experiencing multi-year drought. The Great Salt Lake is another critical wintering area was experiencing multi-year drought. And the Central Valley of California was, again, also experiencing this multi-year drought. And this huge weather system, these multiple atmospheric rivers that we had come in late winter, really kind of flooded that landscape, pulled us out of some of those drought conditions, restored our water storage systems, and really kind of set the ground to have good waterfowl production this spring and summer, which should translate into a lot of locally produced birds, primarily mallards, uh, in those states. Okay. So, so did that, did it push any birds into areas that they hadn't been before, or is it the areas that they were, were used to, uh, to being in are just a lot more fruitful right now with, with actual water in those wetlands? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, waterfowl are fantastic at taking advantage of new areas. So when we, you know, I'm thinking particularly about the Central Valley, we had a lot of flooding and so that pushed birds out of those kind of core traditional areas that just got too deep for those ducks to be in those areas. They went to kind of prospect new locations, right? And so they spent time in those different areas. Um, they generally don't move too, too much, um, you know, like out of state, if you will. But uh, yeah, they really kind of were all over distributed in weird kind of locations uh, at the, right at the end of winter, as we saw all that kind of rain come through. But as uh, spring and summer kind of progressed, those core breeding areas that we see waterfowl wanting to be in, uh, just because that's where the habitat is located, was really kind of rejuvenated and, and in really good condition. And so speaking of good condition and bad condition, how about the the duck numbers that we've seen kind of in the past year? I know that they were a little bit on the low end uh, as we kind of came into the year. How do you see the the trend of just the overall numbers? Yeah, so with waterfowl trends, we see them fluctuate. That's kind of the the classic thing that we see is these these peaks and valleys, as uh, typically as habitat varies from kind of good conditions to uh, to poorer conditions, and that that duck population will respond accordingly. This year, we saw, you know, as I mentioned, we were kind of in this multi year drought over a lot of actually the continental U.S., and so we're starting to hopefully see that turnaround. So waterfowl numbers were pretty similar to last year. We see a, a bit of a decline depending on what species we look at. But, you know, so far we're, we're holding pretty consistent um, and we're, we're, I, we're expecting as this kind of weather system moves through, particularly here in the West, hopefully next season we'll start to see an increase in that population, kind of return of those bigger populations. Okay. And I know that there was uh, there was some controversy in certain pockets of the, the hunting community that some of the water was not reaching the wetlands that should have reached that area. This might be kind of like batting out of your range here, but uh, uh, do you have anything, any comments on kind of the allocation of water as it's reaching the wetlands or, um, or do you have a comment on that? You know, there's a lot of decisions on how water gets allocated in the West. We're a very arid system. 
and something like you know over 80 percent of our managed wetlands uh, rely on surface water deliveries so whoever is in control of those deliveries ends up determining where that water goes um, so it can be challenging to get water into the right areas if uh, if there's other needs right right yeah and that's always a struggle in the west with water being such a usually a scarce re- resource out here and how it gets a uh, uh, distributed is not always how hunters or outdoorsmen would like to see it distributed. So let's talk about uh, conservation and some of the importance of conservation efforts that uh, that Ducks Unlimited is behind and how, how can hunters contribute themselves to the long-term stability of waterfowl on the Pacific Flyway? Yeah, I mean... There's a few few major things uh, here at Ducks Unlimited have, we've been working on. And, and one of the biggest ones in the West is trying to drought-proof systems, trying to improve water conveyance structures so that when water does arrive, or if we get you know some water, not our kind of idealized amount of water, we can make the most of it. Um, and that's been really critical. Some of these areas, uh, particularly I'm thinking of like up in Northeastern California, Southern Oregon, Uh, They just don't have the infrastructure needed to deal with kind of the current restrictions on water. So to try to improve efficiencies has been a huge, huge part of our current work at Ducks Unlimited. And I think for hunters to try to help in that, you know, obviously try to be a member of Ducks Unlimited. Uh, Your funding goes a long way to support these projects. But the other thing is try to engage more folks and uh, bring new hunters into the fold. That's something that we could always use uh, more kind of stakeholders in this fight to support waterfowl and wildlife. Right. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely helpful when you have the numbers behind you. Can you talk a little bit about uh, for those who don't know, Ducks Unlimited is just such a major contributor to conservation on the West Coast or just in general in the United States. Is it uh, can you walk everybody through is precisely how Ducks Unlimited helps. Yeah, so Ducks Unlimited has been around for about over 85 years now. And a main focus that we've tried to take is uh, almost this, well, it is an international approach. We have folks in both Mexico and Canada. And our big driver here is to focus on habitat. Um, that's something that we can really control. You know, as we mentioned earlier in our talk, that these birds move, they move a lot. And so one thing that we can do is make sure wherever those ducks go, they have habitat on the landscape. And a lot of our work is, you know, helping state and federally managed areas uh, manage their habitat effectively to ensure that they can support populations of waterfowl. But we also work with private landowners as well to try to ensure that wherever a duck goes, they have the habitat that they need. Wow. Yeah, no, that's really important work. And can you see, can you kind of tell everybody how you fit into the the process here as a waterfowl scientist? So, you know, talking about that habitat, how do you come in and, and what's kind of a recent project that you've been working on? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, one of the things I really like at Ducks Unlimited here is the science-based kind of process that we go through. So we're not just doing things on the landscape because we we think it's a good idea. You know, we, we really look to what the waterfowl science is telling us, what the habitat science is telling us to ensure that we're really effective at delivering programs. And so I work with a, a team of regional biologists, engineers, and other planners to ensure that, you know, we're really concentrating our efforts in meaningful areas. Um, and one of the projects I've been working on recently is some floodplains projects in the, like the Sacramento Valley around Butte Basin. 
there's a lot of effort there to try to help restore salmonid populations. Um, we all would like to see more salmon uh, use our fisheries and, and kind of recover those fish species. And we found some opportunities working with a, a really a broad array of project partners to try to help use wetlands in a different way to support those species, uh, those fish species particularly, uh, while also supporting waterfowl hunters and waterfowl populations. Wow. Okay. And then that's in the Sacramento Valley area? Yeah. So it's uh, it covers a, a couple of different watersheds, but it's restoration work up the uh, Feather and the Sacramento River. Excellent. Okay. Well, we look forward to kind of tracking tracking the progress there and seeing how that affects. Is, is that all going to be kind of ready for this next season? You know, it's a really slow and ongoing process. So I don't know when we'll start to see big landscape changes. Um, you know, that the challenge is, yes, it's slow, but hopefully it's slow in the right direction. We don't want to quickly move in the wrong direction. Um, so we'll definitely keep you apprised of it as we as we continue to make progress. Excellent. Well, Dan Smith from Ducks Unlimited, I appreciate your time. We uh, we can send everybody to ducks.org to find out more about Ducks Unlimited, about conservation, all the hunting efforts, and Ducks Unlimited actually holds a lot of events. So they have a good event calendar for things coming up, and it's a really important cause, especially uh, for every outdoorsman, hunter, fisherman, everybody that enjoys the outdoors uh, should should be supporting Ducks Unlimited for the work that they do. Thanks a lot, Brad. All right. Thank you. That'll do it for this episode of Western Outdoor News. We hope to see you all at Trout Fest, October 7th and 8th at Big Bear Lake. Sign up now at wonews.com. This is Western Outdoor News.